Welcome to the 40 Fit and Fabulous podcast. Join your host, Mark Slight, as he gets the best information, inspiration, help, and advice from the world's best athletes, performance coaches, and health experts so that you can look, move, and feel your best at 40 and beyond. Remember, it's never too late to live the life of your dreams. Now here's your host, Mark Slight. Hey, welcome back to the 40 Fit and Fabulous podcast. This is episode number 24 with two-time Paralympian Anna Turney. In this first part of our two-part series with Anna, she's going to take us straight back to, to where it all really started for her, that the day she had the accident on her snowboard, which caused her to get the disability that she has now. She's going to be very honest about her treatment, what life was like for her in a Japanese hospital straight after the accident, how she felt mentally, physically, how humour and laughter was a vital tool to see her through them dark days, and how much it affected the people around her. There's a part in this episode where Anna talks about a photograph that she had taken in the Japanese hospital. She talks about the smile that's missing from her mother's face. I have been incredibly fortunate not only to meet Anna, but also to meet her mother. Now, when Anna says in this episode that it's very strange to see her mum without a smile because she's a very bubbly person, I absolutely get it now. After meeting her mum, she is a lovely person. She's, she's so active. She's so happy and such a joy to be around. I can only imagine what it must have been like for Anna to not see that smile and that joy in her mother's face. So grab a cup of tea, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy this first part as Anna takes us all the way through from her accident through her rehabilitation. This is episode number 24 of the 40 Fit and Fabulous podcast with Anna Turner. Hi, Anna. How are you? Yeah, great. Thanks. Hi, Mark. Wonderful. So I want to start this podcast going right back to, uh, well, not back to the beginning, but back to your accident, your first accident when you were snowboarding. Could you take us on a little journey from, from that accident up through your two Paralympic Games for us? Yeah, so I was 26. I was I was living in Japan and kind of dreaming of becoming a Paralympic. Not Paralympics, never at all. <laughs> I was living in Japan and I had this dream that I might be able to become a border cross racer, professional border cross racer, and represent Great Britain. Um, I'd competed in the Alps in the um, British National Championships and. Although I'd crashed in the race, I'd come very close second in the time trial. So I knew I had the potential to be a border cross racer. Um, but there I was in Japan because I had to earn a living and, you know, carry on a normal life. But then I heard about a local border cross race and I thought if I can win this race, then I could become more known. Perhaps I could write to companies, try and get some sponsorship find a way to actually do the sport professionally um, and train. And so I entered the race and I just remember thinking, I have to win this. This is my route to becoming an Olympic snowboarder. Um, I told my brother about the race, but he was the only person who knew about it. So, um, and he was a good snowboarder, still is. So his advice was, just push hard out the start, you know, pick up speed, get out in front if you can. Because border cross, that's when you have four races or six races, um, all going down a course with big jumps 
big bank turns and um well it's the fastest one to the finish so I was there in the start I was ready to give it everything I pushed hard out the start over the first bumps round the first corner hit the first jump landed that fine um and carried on and then I hit the next jump and as I landed I had a bit of a wobble um and I was off balance but I was still on the snowboard we're talking pretty big jumps sort of 30 foot jumps wow but I was still on the, I was still on course and I was still in, I was in the lead at this point and clinging on around the corners. And then I hit the next jump, had a massive crash. And I just remember waking up and seeing my friend looking down at me and saying to her, can you take my snowboard off? Because it doesn't feel right. I just remember my legs felt really heavy. And she said that they had already taken off my snowboard. And then well I was in and out of consciousness so I can't remember everything but um they took me down the mountain waited an ambulance eventually came and then I do remember the ambulance journey because uh it was very painful going around every time we went around a corner um yeah I just remember thinking I want to just thump the ambulance driver (laughs) um yeah and then I woke up in hospital and the doctor explained that I'd broken my back and because of the damage I'd done to my spinal cord, he said, you have about 98% chance that you'll never walk again. So that, that was a pretty big shock, but. Uh. And how quickly did you find that out? How quickly did he tell you that? Was it a matter of hours, days? That was the next day. So he explained that he'd done an operation. He'd stabilized my broken thoracic spine and um, I'd broken a few ribs and got some concussion, but because of the damage to the spine, it, it was going to cause long-term damage. And um, I was likely to be a wheelchair user for the rest of my life. Yeah, so he explained that. Um, Did you have any family with you at the time? But Had anyone flown out at this point to see you? Or? No, no. That was literally the next day. So the, the family was told um, and then... They, they were able to fly out, but yeah, I was on, on my own at that point. Um, I had, had a girlfriend who I was, who came to the competition with me. She, she was around. Um, yeah, I was on my own. It was, it was a pretty tough time. I, I feel quite fortunate that I was in Japan, living there, trying to learn the language, having a great time there. Um, because at least whilst I was in hospital, I could practice my Japanese and eat good food because the food was great in hospital but yeah there there were moments I I was looking through my notes the other day the medical notes from Japan because I did a a talk on trauma to some doctors and the the notes from the physio said sometimes she 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 burst into tears basically (laughs) Um, yeah it, it was it was a tough time I remember the first time they got a ball out in the physio um, exercises the, the physiotherapist got a ball and you know started throwing that to me and that that was kind of a highlight to um, a bit of variation rather than just trying to move bits that won't move or whatever it's it, it was it's pretty tough so I was in Japan for five more weeks in hospital um, but yeah it was it was clean it was I was cared for really well and then I flew back to hospital 
in Stoke Mandeville in England. Yeah. When I was fit enough to fly. And what was, um, this might sound a really daft question, but what was, what was your family's reaction like when, when they come out to see you? Was, um, I imagine that was a pretty emotional time when everyone walked in the room to see you. Yeah, well, my parents are divorced. Um, they both flew. And so my mum and my dad came. Um, I think mum was there first. To be honest, I was on a lot of morphine. I wasn't really, I don't think I was really with it when they were first there. But I, ha- I was looking back at some pictures. Um, and I, now I can see, my, like my mum's face, she, she, she's a really smiley kind of, um, uh, you know, she's a, a lively personality, but she couldn't even get a smile on her face to have a photo taken. She was, it, it's hard to look at it because you can see how much pain she was in just from seeing me in that state. And, you know, I've always been quite a physical person. I've always loved sport. Uh, and I'm sure, obviously spinal injury is horrific for anyone. Um, and I'm not saying it was worse for me, but I do remember just thinking, how am I going to get on if I can't do sport and if I can't snowboard? How am I going to have fun? <laughs> it was there. But, so what, yeah. was, what was the emotions like then after when you sort of come away from Japan? Was, was, was you angry at this stage? Was there a lot of regrets for sort of entering the competition or was you just looking forward at this stage? To be honest, I never regretted entering that competition I think if I had my time again I would I would do it because that was my dream that was really central to me as a person to do that and I loved the sport and I I think in a way I'm lucky that I, I don't want to say I did it to myself but I'm lucky that I was competing in something that I loved doing and I happened to have this accident I think if if it's out of your control and someone else um, hurts you, it's probably quite a different journey to overcoming that mentally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're probably right. I've never really thought about it like that. But yeah, if you're, if you're in a car accident, you can't do anything about it and it's just your wrong place, wrong time, then that probably is completely different to you, like you say, doing something you love and putting yourself in that position in the first place. Yeah, and I mean, there was anger, for sure, and frustration, and why me? How can this be happening to me? I, I remember lying there and thinking, I'm so young, you know. But equally, now I look at pe- young people, you know, teenagers who get injured, and um, I think, oh, gosh, you know, I'm glad I was 26, and I'd kind of worked out in my mind who I was and where I wanted to go, to a degree, yeah. Um, so what's that, up, yeah. from that point then how how then did you get into the 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 mono skiing the paralympic skiing and what was the transition then from you coming back to stoke mandeville to, to first sitting on a mono ski how did how did that come about yeah well, it started in japan so i whilst i was in japan a friend came to visit me who loved snowboarding and knew that i did and he showed me a picture of this guy like flying through the air on a mono ski and I'd never even seen it I mean I'd done enough snow sports I sh- I'd probably been past people or whatever on mono skis but I'd not really noticed it before and then he brought my awareness to that and I actually um, had the opportunity to speak to this guy on the phone the mono the mono skier 
Canadian guy and that really was where it all started because I asked him how does it feel you know what's it like riding one of these things and he sounded like any other snowboarder talking about it he was just saying you just pick your line and um, decide where you want to go and point it down the hill basically <laughs> simple as I <laughs> yeah and you know as soon as he said that and I saw the pictures of him I thought wow I've got to try that that looks amazing did this then help with your rehabilitation did this then spur you on to think I've, I've now got an aim I've got something to reach for yeah massively um it gave me it gave me something to work towards the doctor when I left the hospital in Japan Dr Ito waved goodbye and I remember him saying I'll see you in the Paralympics <laughs> so that was um you know, a mention, wasn't it? And then, yeah, I had this guy's picture up at the end of my bed for the for the next three months I was in hospital in Stoke Mandeville. And then, um, yeah, that gave me something to work towards. One of my French friends, uh, a, a snow, another snowboarder guy, sent me a card and he said, um, ah, Anna, I can imagine your freestyle is a corridor. <laughs> like in my wheelchair. <laughs> Imagining me doing some tricks. <laughs> but all these things, really, having people around me was massive support. You know, I, I was out there on my own in Japan. And then, although I had friends and support, but I came home, my brothers were around. I got to see them and I'd not seen them for a year. So that was great. And, and this, this may sound strange, and how much does a sense of humour play in your recovery? How important is it to laugh and smile during your recovery? Well, everyone's different, but it was essential for me. And that's a massive part of being at a spinal unit, a spinal injuries unit in hospitals, because everyone's in the same boat to a degree. So everyone's had a spinal injury, and some people might have broken their necks, and some people have got really low injuries and some people are walking around and everyone's different but there's a lot of banter you know um there's a lot of chat and that I kind of feel like that's how British people get on a lot of the time get through things is by laughing at it um you know they'd call me a flesh wound because I've I'd injured myself below or about at the waist um and some of these people couldn't use their hands properly or whatever but it, I think all of that keeps you going. And actually, for me, that kind of made me think, come on, I've got to really go for it because look what I can do so much more than what some other people can't do, really. Yeah, that's how you, that perception of how you look at things as well and how everyone else does. You know, yes, you could class yourself as incredibly unlucky for what's happened. But as you say, you could also count yourself very lucky that it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, uh, yeah. And everyone's affected in different ways and people have... Um, different levels of pain and um, different spasm and things that affect their legs or, or their bodies or whatever. Um, but actually, everyone has difficult times, you know, whether you're in a wheelchair or not. Ha however physically able you are, everyone faces challenges and it's, I suppose it's accepting it and having something to move forwards towards yes. is what we all need. And when you was having your, your rehabilitation, did, did you ever do a lot of mental strength training? Was that part of the rehabilitation? Um, so I was doing yoga when I was in Japan. I, I just started doing yoga that year. 
and I was loving it. So I, I did um, quite a lot of yoga whilst I was in hospital. So if there was ever a spare bed in the plinth in the physio um, room, I'd go in there and sit. And I was laughing about this the other day with someone because I'd just be in my own little mind and I'd go off and I'd just, you know, do some alms and, pra and practice some, some of the sitting yoga that I could do. But I think that helped me s still be physical um, and still sort of value my body. Obviously, I was angry about the bits that didn't work or I couldn't feel, but it was nice to just sit and breathe and be in that moment there rather than worrying about the past or the future. Yeah. Okay. So let's just take you back a step then. So, or forward a step from where we are now, but two Paralympic games you've been to in 2010 and 2014. That's right. Yeah. And I've seen you going down the slope in your mono ski and I, I've seen you crash on your mono ski and it looks horrific. Okay, and we was talking before we come on air about the feeling you've got. You've got some feeling, haven't you, from your, from your, from in your legs. You've got some feeling there, not a lot, but you can feel some things. When you crash, are you very worried? Because obviously you can still break your leg. There's still a lot of things that can go wrong, even though you might not feel it so much. Do you worry about that when you crash? Is there a fear of getting out of the mono ski thinking, oh my God, what have I done? Um, I'm not really fussed about breaking my legs. I mean, obviously, I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there is the concern you might break your neck or um, do something to a shoulder, which would, you know, if I have only one arm, then it's really hard to push around um, and transfer onto beds and wherever else or get by. So, yeah, there's a degree of concern about hurting yourself. but it's fairly calculated risk you know what we do what, what i used to do racing down the mountain downhill is fast so you're going about 70 and obviously it's scary and the conditions can vary um but you know the course you've, you've learned it you've visualized it many times in your mind um you you have a plan You've talked through your coach about exactly where you're going to be around each gate and that's what you're aiming to do so it's quite calculated yeah crashes happen a lot I mean in Sochi the conditions were really bad bumpy and the snow was soft whereas we as racers want it hard and icy so that it holds up doesn't change and it was bumpy so it was a bit more dangerous and a bit more risky but you you know the plan, and I guess you you take that risk. You you kind of choose to make take that risk. Yeah. And when you're going through the the really risky areas, you 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 know where you want to be, so it's a, the, the least risky possible. Um, what, about, what about your mum then? Because when when you first you've you've had your accident, you now you've you've lost feeling in your legs. Your your mum's obviously very upset by that. Then you turn around to your mum and say, Mum, I'm going to jump on one of these mono skis and I'm going to go down the mountain again. Does, does she turn around and is she really supportive from the word go or does she turn around and go, no, you're not. You're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, mum. So I moved home with mum. After I came out of hospital, I moved back in with mum and I hadn't lived with her for a number of years. And 
um, she was great support and cooked and cleaned and whatever and was just brilliant. But yeah, when I said I'm going to ski, she said, no, you're not. I don't want you to do that. But I said, mum, I have to do this. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and actually she, she became really supportive, but then she just wanted me to win after that. <laughs> well she got her head around it but it must have been hard now that I'm a mum I have much more of an insight into how she must have felt it yeah. really helped us in a way I think quite often these injuries and problems yeah they're tough for the person who has the injury but I do think the fam it's really hard for the loved ones because they're just onlookers and there isn't that much they can do apart from be supportive yeah, I was thinking that when I, when I saw you crash in your mono ski, and I, thought, I was thinking then about about your family and what must they be thinking? Because I think at that time you was married, and I think the commentator said your husband was at home, and I was trying to think if I was in that position, it must be horrendous for him watching at home, thinking, "Oh my God, what's has she hurt herself again, or what's gone wrong?" And yeah, for the for the people watching, it's it's terrible. I think. Yeah, I do too. I've, I was watching it a lot, obviously during Pyeongchang, and yeah. Oh, the crashes are horrible, and I've, you know, um, I've got friends there, but it's not like a, a daughter or a loved one. Um, yeah, it must be horrific for them, <laughs> and I put them through it. But you know, they've been m massive support to me, and I couldn't really have done it without the support I've had. Yeah, we're going to come to that in part two about the support because it's, it's so vital. Um, but I'm not surprised that you crash so much because I, I snowboard, and I can obviously feel every bump in the surface and I can adjust my body accordingly as the, as the bumps come and go. You haven't really got that, have you? Because how, if you're sitting in a monoskin, you haven't got much feeling from the waist down. You can't feel all the little bumps and the changes going on so much. No, uh, you can. You can basically, you? kind of. So it's, maybe it's different. It's definitely different because you, haven't, you can't react to it with your knees and your ankles and your hips. Um, but basically you're sitting in a seat and then you've got a, a motorbike shock underneath you and then you're on a single ski with little outriggers in your arms with little skis on. Um, so you do, you feel all the bumps. Depends how you've got the shock set, but um, yeah, you, you do feel all those bumps and it can be quite jarring. Like trying to ski moguls, the really bumpy bits, that can be um, really, really hard physically. Um, but... Yeah, you're, I guess you're, you're using your body. If you're on a clean ski, so if your ski is carving and cutting straight through the snow, um, rather than going sideways and skidding, then it feels much better. As soon as you're skidding, then you feel all those jarry bumps. <laughs> um, but you're aiming to be on a clean, sharp edge because that's the fastest way through. It's just not always that easy. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine it's not I, to be honest I struggle on a snowboard myself so uh. and I, well, the worst thing about crashing for me it's not really I, I've been really fortunate to not hurt myself very badly when I've crashed and I have crashed at speed a number of times but the worst thing is that's it your race is over you know all that training and you're now not going to win a medal whereas in, in Sochi in the downhill um, you know, I'd won one at the first training run, which doesn't really mean anything, but um, I knew I could put down a good run. And then I was going down the course really well. I'd probably have, if I'd finished, I might have got a silver, um, but I crashed. So it wasn't meant to be. 
And then the same in, in one of the other races, the Super Combined had another massive crash. And it was always when I was skiing really well. Because that's the thing, skiing, you have to be on the edge. You know how it is with snowboarding. You know, it's all or nothing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So just quickly before we wrap up part one then, what, uh, what brought about your retirement? How did that decision come about? Uh, well, I wanted a family. So, um, and I was looking at myself thinking actually, you know, need to get on, try and have a family. So that was pretty important. And I wanted to buy a house and, you know, just do normal adult things, <laughs> um, uh, build a career, etc. cetera. Um, yeah so i i just decided it's it's full-on being abroad all the time dedicating everything to your training you know you have to be pretty selfish to be an athlete often and well probably always but to be a winter sport athlete you can't do it in the uk most most of it so you have to be abroad it's expensive you know, I, I put so much into it and I gave it a good shot and I, I did two games and I, you know, I won six World Cup medals. So I, I gave it everything and I did get some results. But yeah, at the end of the day, um, I knew I was going to call it quits after Sochi. So that's why finishing fourth hurt so much, I guess. Um, but the four years on now, I look back at it and I, I know I gave it everything. Fantastic. And a great lead into part two, because we're going to come back in a couple of days and we're going to talk about uh, the family life and, and how you're coping with that now and after Anna, the athlete. And, um, and we'll speak again in a couple of days. Thank you so much, Anna, for all your, all your advice and the story. It's been great. Great. Thanks, Mark. There we go. How powerful was that of a story? For me, the biggest take home there was when Anna talks about the the reaction of other people in the spinal ward, saying that, oh, you've only got a flesh wound. Because even though what Anna had was horrific, it still wasn't as bad as what some other people had. And, and then Anna's gratitude come to the forefront to realise that actually it could be a lot worse. Suddenly, going from being incredibly sad and frustrated, as, as I'm sure deep down that she was, to to suddenly being incredibly grateful and thankful that it's not worse. There's other people around her that are in a much worse situation. And I know I haven't brought up a, a question from my clients for quite a while or from, or from the listeners, but one thing I do hear a lot of is people saying that they're in a terrible position. Life sucks for them, okay? And I get it. I get what Anna's going through is incredibly rare in the grand scheme of things, okay? I know it's an extreme situation, we're not all walking around with disabilities. I understand that. And what you've got going on in your life, to you, probably seems like the worst thing in the world. But I can guarantee that there's always something to look forward to. There's always a positive side. There's always a something to be grateful for. There, There is always somebody who is worse off than you. And you should always be incredibly thankful that you have the simplest of things in life, that you have clean fresh air to breathe, that you have the use of your legs, your arms, your eyes, your ears. There are people in the world who don't have that. And I know that doesn't affect your life, what other people are going through. The only things that affect you affect solely you and it doesn't matter about other people. But you have to be grateful. You have to be grateful for what you have because until you are six feet under, 
There is always something positive in life. There is always a good spin to be put on any situation. Yes, there is hardship and tough times in life for us all. And how we will handle that is different for each and every one of us. But there is always light at the end of the tunnel. Always. I happened to speak to a friend of mine recently whose brother-in-law had had a very bad accident and he was paralysed so badly that he couldn't move at all. The only body part that he could move was his eyelids. He could blink. That was it. He could make a slight mm, sort of noise. That was it. You couldn't distinguish the noise between yes and no. His body did not work at all. He could not move an arm, a finger, a leg, a toe, anything. He was bed bound or chair bound. And he relied solely on the people around him to, to put DVDs in so that he had something to watch. That was basically all this guy could do was watch DVDs. A, a terrible life for both him and his family. Even if he wanted to die, he couldn't tell people. All he could simply do was communicate with a yes or no. One blink for yes, two for no. So that's all he could do. So when I say things could always be worse, again, this is an incredibly, incredibly extreme situation. But just imagine if you if you was tied to a chair, your, your arms were bound, your legs were bound, you had your lips sewn up, you couldn't communicate in any other way than a blink. Think how tough that actually is. And then just transition back to your own life and think, what is it that you're really concerned about? What is it that's really tough in your life right now? Because when I say there's things and situations that are always worse, there, there really are some horrific situations in the world. And we should all be so grateful that we're not in that situation. Things are never that bad or usually never that bad for us. I know these are extreme situations, but please, what I'm trying to get across is that we should all just be a little bit more grateful for what we do have in life. Gratitude is something I talk about a lot. And if we walked around with an with an air of gratitude and we looked at everything with, with a degree of gratitude, everything changes in our lives. I promise you, it really is a game changer. If we walk around being grateful instead of resentful, it changes everything. It really does. And that conversation Anna had with the other people in Spinal Ward, where they said, it's just a flesh wound, sums it up absolutely perfectly we're going to come back in a couple of days time Anna's going to go into a little bit more detail about about everything we've talked about in part one and take us a little bit further on our journey so come back guys please episode number 25 in a couple of days time with two-time Paralympian Anna Turney